Turn your Bibles to 942 in the Pew Bible. We're looking at Romans uh, 9, beginning with verse 33 through chapter 10, verse 13. If you have your own copy of Scripture, it's better to read it out of your own copy so you can look at it at home. And, uh, but if you need a Bible, there's also a Bible there you can take with you to take home with you, or, or to take home with you that black book in front of you and the seat in front of you. Please, if you don't have a copy, take a copy with you. We want you to read it all the time because we think it changes lives. God's Word changed my life. The message of the Word, for sure, has changed our lives. And so we want to proclaim that each and every week. And so that's what our focus is going to be on that section in just a moment. I want to share a couple of things with you. Actually, I have a, a few quizzes for you. As we look at this great subject, if you've noticed on the back of your bulletin, the title, Why Good People Won't, you might underline that, won't go to heaven. Why good people won't go to heaven? We're going to explain that in just a moment because most of us think good people do go to heaven. I was looking at some material for this sermon and I came across the story of a, a wino who got on a bus and the only seat to, on the bus was next to a nun. And so he sits down and he's, you know, his hair's all muffled and his jacket's wrinkled and he, he, he reeks of alcohol and uh, he begins to open the paper and read the paper. And then after a moment, he said to the nun, Sister, tell me what causes arthritis. And she thinks, well, this is a great opportunity to witness to this wino. And so she says, sin, pure and simple, it's sin. Drinking whiskey, uh, smoking those long black cigars, carousing with women. Why do you ask? And he said, well, I was just reading here, the Pope has arthritis. Uh, sometimes we can identify more with the nun as church people. Sometimes we feel a little more comfortable with the wino, don't we? I guarantee you, if Jesus walked this earth today, he would be in the presence of the wino more often than he was in the presence of the nun. And that's good news for sinners like me and you. But we also need to know that as, as folks who come to church all the time, that we've got this perspective that sometimes keeps us from being in contact, in touch with everyday folks who are struggling through life. Because folks, we're everyday folks who are struggling through life. We come to this place not as a hotel for saints who have it all together. We come as a, a hospital for sinners who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ preached to us over and over and over again remind us that we are forgiven, remind us that we are part of the kingdom of God, to remind us that no matter what our sin is, that we still do struggle with sin. The world, the flesh, and the evil one is all around us. We know those things full well, and yet sometimes we forget. Because I go to a funeral sometimes, and I, I think, or I do a funeral from time to time, and I, I'll hear, the, oh, he was a good man, or she was a good woman. And, and we often equate goodness with entrance into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of God. And that's not what gets us there, folks. If you know the scripture, if you have been redeemed, as we just sang about, if you've been saved, you know it's Jesus. That heaven is reserved not for good people, but for saved people. So the question is not how do we get good, the question is how do we get saved? 
And if we're saved already, how do we help other people understand that it's not goodness that gets us there, but it's salvation? And so it's the very key question of life, is it not? Kenny Chesney, the great theologian, wrote these words. Preacher told me last Sunday morning, son, you better start living right. You need to quit the women and whiskey and carrying on all night. Don't you want to hear him call your name when you're standing at the pearly gates? I told the preacher, yes, I do, but I hope they don't call today. I ain't ready. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Have a mansion above the clouds. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now. Said preacher, maybe you didn't see me throw an extra 20 in the plate. There's one for everything I did last night and one to get me through today. Here's a 10 to help you remember. Next time you got the good Lord's ear, say I'm coming, but there ain't no hurry. I'm having fun down here. Don't you know that everybody want to go to heaven? Get their wings and fly around. Everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now. Someday I'll see those streets of gold in my halo but I don't mind waiting at least 100 years or so. Everybody want to go to heaven. It beats the other place there. Ain't no doubt. Everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now. Everybody want to go to heaven. Hallelujah, let me hear you shout. Everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now. I think I speak for the crowd. Does he? Everybody wants to go to heaven? Preacher said, everybody raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. He said that several times. The little boy never rose, raised his hand, and he said, son, why, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, yeah, I thought you were going right now. I don't want to go right now. <laughs> we want to go. So how do we get there? That's the answer that this text we're looking at in Romans, as we're walking through Romans, will answer for us. And if we know already, then these words hopefully will help you articulate that to people who need to know how to get there. And so when we, we talk about these things today, I, I want us to consider these words from Jesus in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, before we get to the text for today in Romans, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Look that up. End of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. What's he, what's he saying that to those folks for? They thought they were in. They thought they were good. They, they thought they had everything covered, they tried to do good things. And we're defining good people as it's on the back of your bulletin as people who try to do the right thing, who try to please God, who try to help others in their own efforts. Because that's who we see the, 
the Jewish people being, Paul's people being in Romans 9 and 10. And remember, Paul is praying in Romans 9 and 10. The burden of his heart is for his own people that they be saved. And we'll define that this way. Saved. To be made whole. To be healed. That's what the word literally means. We're saved from sin and self and shame. We're saved from hell and death and the grave. But most of all, we're saved from the wrath of God, from being enemies of God to being His friends. Saved. And so when we think about uh, what that means today, and you see that word several times in our text, I want you to consider, is that you? Because you know Jesus and He knows you in a relationship with Him? Because there were folks He was dealing with and talking to there. That thought they had it all. But they missed Him. And we never want to hear those words from Him. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So would you consider some things today about good people and how they won't uh, go to heaven as we deal with this text today. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give you a point, and then we'll look at the Scripture that backs this up. The first point is this, if you will. Heaven is not for good people. It's for saved people. The first point is this. Good people can't earn heaven their way. Most people want to go on their own terms. But must receive heaven God's way. Would you look at the scripture with me? In Romans 9, beginning with verse 30. What, what does all this mean? Now, Paul, remember, had been talking about whether it is God's choice of us or our choice of God that brings about salvation, that brings about uh, his service, that brings about his choosing of the elect of the people. Now, those are, that's a controversy that's been waging in Christianity for years and years and I'm not smart enough to answer that controversy do we choose God or has God chosen us I just simply told you yes we choose God and God has chosen us it's a both and sort of deal God chose the the people of Israel but primarily he chose them so that the the Messiah the one who's going to save all of us would come from him that's the chosen part of being chosen as much as anything but we also know that we've got to respond to the gift that he's given us and we've got to receive the gift of salvation and so that's what we're going to talk about today how do we do that how do we walk that road of salvation that Romans road of salvation that so many have walked so many times throughout the years so we want to deal with that today and so as we do let's look what does all this mean even though the Gentiles continuing in verse 30 even though the Gentiles were trying to follow God's standard weren't trying to fall follow God's standards, they were made right with God. So the Gentiles weren't trying to, to live according to the law, and yet God made them right with him anyway. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded tried so hard to be good, tried to do all they should. They never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting 
in him. You might underline that. They were trying instead of trusting. The essence of the Christian life is not just trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and trying to do right and trying to be disciplined and walk with the Lord. The essence of Christianity is trusting God to do what we cannot do. In fact, that's my definition of grace. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He has saved our souls because we cannot do it for ourselves. And He helps us become more like Christ because the harder I try, the more temptations I have not to do that. Have you ever experienced that? The things I want to do, Paul had said way back in chapter 7 of Romans, I don't do. And the things I do, I don't want to do. Anybody? Can I get a testimony today? If you're, if you're not there, then you're not human. The harder we try, the more it seems that we, we fail. So do we quit trying? No, we start trusting. We trust that God is going to do something in us that we cannot do for ourselves. And they stumble. It says that they, and remember, this is the Jewish people. This is Paul's people. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. What had the Jews been looking for all of the, the time? They'd been looking for the Messiah. And there, here comes Jesus, and they stumble over him. They don't see him. They don't recognize him. They don't know him. They don't know he's the one that has fulfilled all of the law. And God warned them of this in the Scripture when he said, I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him, anyone who trusts in this rock of salvation, this stumbling stone in Jesus, will never be disgraced, will never be put to shame. Eugene Peterson paraphrases that, will never, ever regret it. We know that to be true. Those of us who are following him and seeking him, actively pursuing our faith, we know that we have never regretted trusting him, putting our faith in him, walking with him, understanding what he's done for us, and understanding that he wants through that to use us in his kingdom work. And so, dear brothers, Paul writes again in verse 1 of chapter 10, the longing of my heart and prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. God uh, makes it clear here that good people can't earn their way by trying to keep the law, by doing good things. They've got to trust Him and receive the gift of heaven, the gift of salvation. The gift of righteousness. That's what we've been talking about all through Romans. How do we get right with God? How are we made right with God? How do we put on His righteousness? And all through Romans, it's by faith. And we'll talk more about what that means to believe. The Scripture says that even the demons believe that there's only one God. They believe and they shudder. It's more than that. It's more than just a mental ascent. It's more than just a knowledge of God's power. Believing and putting all your trust, all your weight, all your worries, all your concerns, all your hopes and all your dreams in one basket, and that basket is Jesus Christ. You believe that you're not going to go to heaven 
unless he takes you, unless you get in on his ticket. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's a quiz I want to give you right now. If we could go back to that for just a moment. How do how we get in heaven? How good do we have to be to get in heaven? Here's how good. Multiple choice, okay? It's a hard question, so we're going to give you multiple choice. First of all, how good do you have to be to get in heaven? Pretty good? A? Really good? B? Better than Ricky Galvan or Brad Irons? I hope you're better than them. Or D? Perfect. How good do you have to be? There is an answer. The answer is D. To get into heaven, you have to be perfect. We have a little slogan around here, nobody's perfect. So we've all blown that chance, haven't we? So we've got to find somebody who can be perfect in our place. And we have somebody. His name is Jesus. We get his righteousness. He took our sin on the cross. That's how we get to heaven. On his ticket. Good people aren't going to heaven just because they're good. Now, there's, there's going to be a, a catch at the end, okay? So hang in with me. Because we that's so contrary even to say that good people aren't going to go to heaven just because they're good. They can't earn their way. They've got to receive that as a gift. The second thing I want you to see as we continue through this text here is that good people are deceived about their condition. And don't think they need Jesus. That's what the Jews are are all about here. Look, Paul says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God. But it is misdirected zeal. It is zeal without knowledge, your version may say. They don't really know God in a personal way, and they don't know the plan of God. And that's what we're looking at in this series on Romans 9 through 11 is the Lord's plan. What is the Lord's plan? How can we know his plan for all of mankind? The Lord's plan is this. God in heaven saw the condition of man and how far we had fallen. And once he wiped the world out through Noah, remember that? Noah built that ark through the flood and all that happened. But the next time... When he looks, he sees the condition of man, and we're still in the same condition of sin, separated from him, and he wants to reconnect with us. And so he leaves heaven. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, comes to earth, and we've got to know certain facts about that. He was fully God, and he left the glory and splendor of, her, earth, of heaven to come to earth. He left the cheers for the jeers. The angels were singing his praises. And the people were yelling, crucify him. Why did he do that? Because he, he loves you and he loves me. And he wanted to reconnect us to the Father. So Jesus is fully God, come to earth in the incarnation, fully human while on earth. And then he lived this perfect life to become the perfect sacrifice on the cross. For you and me, he's the only one in all of history, who lived perfectly. He's the only one who gets to go to heaven because of his perfection. 
and we only get there because of him. And then he doesn't just stay dead in the atonement, but he whips death and comes back to life in the resurrection. you got to know those things. You say, that's old news, Kyle. Oh, don't let it be old news. Let that be fresh. You've heard it before. One of my prayers for this sermon was that I not say anything that you hadn't heard before, but I want you constantly to experience that anew and afresh so that you can share that with other folks and remember what it took for you to be in the kingdom of God and for you one day to experience for all eternity heaven. And so that's the plan, but the, the Jewish people didn't know that. They thought they were okay because they had this great zeal for God. Now, Paul knew something about that, did he not? He knew what it was like to be zealous for the Lord, and he was persecuting the church, just like many of those Jewish brothers were. And yet he literally saw the light on the road to Damascus. God changed his life. Now he wants God to change their lives as well. Because it's not just a matter of being zealous or sincere in your faith. It's what your faith is in. You see, we had this common conception in our day that all roads lead to the top of the mountain. And they don't. All roads don't lead to heaven. All religions don't lead to heaven. All religions don't teach the same thing. Most of the religions of the world are about earning your way, doing good works, becoming good people, doing good things. Folks, I want you to hear this and hear this plainly. There is an element of that in Christianity, and there are a lot of Christians who still think they have to earn their way, to pay their way. But the very essence of the difference of Christianity is not that we earn our way, but that we trust the one who's already done that for us. Continue to look with me at this passage. I know with the enthusiasm they have for God, it's misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with themselves. Refusing to accept God's way... They cling to their own understanding of getting right with God, in verse 3, by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. What's the purpose for which the law is given? To make us right with God. If we could do it, any of us, we could be right with God, but none of us can, so we've got to trust Him to do it in our place. And he did that. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law of Moses, to do it perfectly, to live the life we were designed and intended to live. And he did. And so now, as we consider uh, this passage, we see as a result, all who believe in him are made righteous or made right with God. That's the key. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. James 2.10 says if you stumble at at just one point in obeying the law, then you've blown it with all of the law. 
If you don't keep it perfectly. Now think about that for just a moment. Has anybody in this place ever kept the law? Ever done what was right? Every moment of just one day in their lives? One day. Anybody ever been in a coma? Maybe you can claim that. You, you've never had bad intentions, just one day without bad intentions or bad thoughts or bad actions or bad words. Well, you didn't even live up to your own expectations and your own standards, much less God's. Anybody, one day, one day of perfection. We have a Savior who lived every day perfectly in line with his father's will loving people loving God perfectly tempted in every way the scripture says yet without sin he never failed is that a fairy tale that's reality that's reality. That's historic reality. There's been more change in the world because of Jesus Christ and, and what he's done than any and every other human being who's ever lived on the face of this earth. That's who we serve. That's who we love. That's who loves us. We don't get there because of our goodness we are misguided if we think somehow some way we don't need Jesus the Savior you know I can I can look out in this congregation and I think man there's a lot of good people in this place and I'm so glad to be associated with the folks who are generous and kind and try to seek the Lord and try to do good and and try to please him and and try to help other people. And that happens all the time around this place. And I, I know that full well. But I never want to be misguided about myself or about you or about anyone else. That we, none of us, none of us deserve to live eternity with the perfect God, the perfect Savior. It's all gifts. Because as I look out at this place, I see, hey, there's some guys that are napping. They can't even stay awake for 45 minutes in this place. You know, I think, yeah, see, I saw those elbows fly there, yeah. <laughs> we can't do it. We need him. And so as we look at this passage, we know that the purpose of the law was to make us right with God, and Jesus has made us right with God himself, so he fulfilled the purpose of the law. And we know we can't do it. So here's the last thing, probably the most important part of all of this, God, or good people can miss God's plan of salvation. And we've already covered some of that. I just want to go in detail over it for just a moment. And I want to do that by walking the Roman road of salvation with you. Many of have walked this road before. Some of you may have come to faith in Jesus through this very uh, road, Romans road of salvation. Jot down these verses if you need this for somebody else. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know these verses. For someone to come to know Christ, for someone to enter into a relationship with Him, for someone to be made right with God, for someone to have their ticket punched for heaven, they got to know they need a Savior. 
And the way we know we need a Savior is that none of us are perfect for all. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The second thing is this. It's bad news, good news. It's, it's getting there in just a moment. For the wages of sin is death. You know there's a price to pay for your sin. And that price ultimately is eternal separation if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and He's not real to you and you're not in a real relationship with Him. The wages of your sin, which everybody is in the same boat there, is death. At the first death, we know we're all going to die because of sin, but there's a second death that Revelation talks about, eternal separation from Him. That's the consequences we all deserve. That's what we get for our sin. You're going to end up in hell, a place of torture and darkness and torment, unless, unless you receive the gift of salvation and believe in Jesus who gives the right to become part of His family, the children of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift, this is where it gets good. It turns, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Where? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You trusted him? You received that gift? Romans 5, 8 is the third stop on that Romans road, and it's this. Now, lots of people think, I, I don't deserve that. I can't accept that. No, nothing's free. And the truth is, it's, it wasn't free. Free to us. But it cost him everything. And Romans 5, 8 says this, For God showed his love. He's demonstrated his love. His love was made manifest. He, sh he showed us how much he cared about us. In that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. He showed us his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You didn't have to get good. You didn't have to clean up your act. You don't have to get good. You don't have to clean up your act. He loves you enough. He shows you his love by dying on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. And here's the last step on the Roman road to salvation. I want to read the rest of this uh, section to you in verses 9 and 10 are the last stop on that Roman road. Verse 6 says, But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? And this is quoting from, from Isaiah. Who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? This is faith's way of righteousness, of getting right with God. We don't have to go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. Why? Because he's already come. Faith's way is this. That's the incarnation. Faith's way is this. And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead or to the abyss or to the, the place across the sea to bring Christ back to life again? Why? We don't have to do that either because the resurrection says he's already alive again. In fact, 
face way, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith we preach. If you confess with your mouth, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, here's the last stop. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved, as the Scripture tells us. Anyone who trusts in him, anyone, anyone, who trust in him will never be put to shame, disappointed, disgraced, regretted. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you need to underline that. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, there's only one way. It's through Jesus. All roads don't lead to the top. All roads don't lead to heaven. Your sincerity doesn't count. It's what your sincerity is in or who your sincerity is in. Because Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father in heaven but by me. And Paul tells us here, here's the way, here's the kicker. Here's what you do. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Because everything else about Jesus is validated by that resurrection. And you confess or you openly declare with your mouth, Jesus is the boss. Jesus is the Lord. He's calling the shots in this life now. You do that? I'm going to close with this story. A story about a tightrope walker in the in the 1800s, 1859, June 30th, a guy named Charles Blondin, great acrobat kind of guy from, from England, uh, saw about that time Niagara Falls and wanted to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Isn't that crazy? You ever been to Niagara Falls, anybody? You've seen how dangerous it is, about 160 feet above the falls, no net, no safety whatsoever. It's uh, 1,100 feet across. And so he wanted to walk across, and, and he did, and he, he charged everybody in 1859 a quarter apiece. I don't know what that would be equivalent to, probably about 100 bucks a pop or something like that. Inflation, you know. But he, he charged them, and 25,000 people showed up or so to watch him do this, and he did it. And he walked back across. He walked from the U.S. side to the Canada side and back. And he did that several times over of a period of a week or so. And he did it in all sorts of weird ways. He, he did it backwards, and, and he did it. One time he took a stove out there and a chair and, and cooked himself an omelet. It's crazy. You look it up. And, and ate that omelet on there. He did all of it. He, and then toward the end, he, he took a wheelbarrow across with 350 pounds of, of cement in it. And then he emptied that out and said, do you think I could take a man across? 
He'd already taken one piggyback. He was looking for a volunteer from the, the crowd, and they, and they all yelled, yeah, we know you can take a man. There's a guy that's way less than three feet. And, and the loudest cheerer, he asked in the crowd, do you, you think I could take you across Niagara Falls? And he said, sure, sure. He said, get in the wheelbarrow. And the guy refused, and we never heard from him again. <laughs> History would record. You see, faith is not just believing in God and what he can do and what he's done. It's getting in the wheelbarrow and depending on him for every need you have in life. First and foremost, your salvation. But everything else flows from that. You've got to know some things we've talked about. You've got to be convicted about that. But the most important part is you've got to make a commitment. You've got to choose. Choose today whom you will serve. What are you waiting for? If you know what he has done, what are you waiting for? None of us are guaranteed any more time on this earth. Just get right with God today. Just confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. And follow the one who whipped death today. Wherever you are, whoever you are, Anytime, anywhere, any place, you can put your faith in Jesus. Come, just as you are. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you've done in Jesus. Lord, we could never get up to you. We could never get to heaven on our own. We can never be good enough. But Lord, we trust by faith the one who is, was, and will always be good enough. Jesus, who died in our place. Father, I pray today that the Christians in this place will be reminded of all we have in you, all we have in Jesus. And we will be reminded to the point where we continue to, to reach out to folks who are far from you and continue to try to, to be used by you and your almighty hand for your work. Lord, we know our effort is not enough, not alone. When we trust, Lord, that you'll make up the difference. Father, I pray for the people in this place who, who have maybe never really come into a relationship with you. They may have walked an aisle. They may have prayed a prayer. They may have been baptized. But they don't know you, Lord. They don't know you. And your power and your peace. Father, I pray today that you would 
use the words of your word and the words that have been spoken today and sung about today to bring conviction to their hearts and bring them to a commitment. In your holy name we pray.